So the first thing to talk about uh, in relation to death is uh, that we will all die. We will all die. Where the death is certain. And the second thing is like is that uh, the time of death is uncertain. So it's all it's something that we all know in a way. Like we all we might know personally someone that have died, we might have experienced uh, death quite close to us, or maybe we might have had near death experience. Um but um, yeah, sometimes we don't quite we we don't quite see death. We don't acknowledge death. We don't um, um, yeah we don't we don't think about it too much, or we try not to think about it. The a good way to start is with the Buddha, <laughs> particularly the Buddhist center. So like the. The Buddha, before before he um, before he was the Buddha, when he was just another human being, normal citizen of the world, um, there, there's a the myth, the story around his growing up. It's like he grew up in a very comfortable, very comfortable uh, situation. He was a prince, or he was maybe quite. Uh, very good conditions in, um, that he grew up with. And we're told that his father was very protective. He would protect him from seeing uh, death or anything related with that or illness or aging. So they would pr- try to keep uh, Gautama uh, the Buddha to be in a very um, controlled situation, in a very um, beautiful, young, healthy, and very uh, pleasurable. So, in some stories, we hear that he had different palaces for different times of the year, um, different dancing girls and swimming pools, and who knows what else? Maybe iPhone sevens, like anything that the dad could provide to him. He would, he would have it. Um, he wanted, the, uh, Gautama's father wanted him to be a great, uh, great king, a great, um, a great um, leader. That's another word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Ruler, yeah, that's the word, yeah. Um, yeah. So in this kind of protecting environment, he had to go out of the palace, and then is where he saw for first time. Uh, that's what we're told. This is the first time that he saw illness and aging and death. And is that and is that that caused him so such a? It's not you know, just the fact that that was ha- that, 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 that that is going to happen to him, or that it would happen to everyone around him. Um, and sometimes we, we might, because uh, we might know we might die. We might know that all of us, that everyone around us will die. Like it's very unlikely that any of us is going to be here in a hundred years. It's pretty unlikely. Um, you know. And it's still funny, like I said pretty unlikely, because still maybe I can, I'm hoping that you know, my brain might 
be transferred into a robot or something. I'm still I'll be alive. Uh, but that's quite unlikely. <laughs> um, yeah. And so, so, so Gautama had to leave those conditions. He had to leave the, the, that illusion, that false life. Um, false because he was protecting him from... Uh, or protecting him from the truth. It was actually isolating him for what was happening. And not only that, but for, any, for getting any closer to find a solution to this. The solution, he wanted to find a solution for death, for illness and aging. So he saw, in some stories we hear that he saw this uh, wanderer that gave him um, inspiration to leave, to leave the palace and look for answers. Um, so in a way, you know, that's the first way of to, with, to reflect on death, well, well, that's a good benefit to reflect on death. Because if we see death, if we get in contact with our suffering that this produces, it will make us look for an answer. I mean, I, I think, and you see this in Buddhist centers, like people come here because you know you can experience that there's something, there's something more. There must be something more. It's not. It's not even that there must be something out more. There is something more. There is more to life than what is presented to me. There is this uh, uneasiness. And that's what we traditionally call uh, dukkha. Uh, this is the world of dukkha, the world of suffering. Sometimes samsara. Samsara is the world of, uh, that we live in, the, the world that is pervaded of suffering. Um, 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 and so, and what it produces suffering is our our expectations of the world. It's more um, tradition as well. Some of the characteristics of the world in which we live in is that everything is impermanent. Everything is uh, unsatisfactory. Say, so that everything changes. So you see that uh, you might have a good job or you might have a good experience. Even if this talk is good, it will end. And that, you know, that... And it's not, and it's not the fact that it changes. But it's like the fact that we don't want it to change. It's the fact that I hope that my brain is going to be transferred into a robot. That, it will, is the, that illusion is that, that's going to make me suffer. So it's our expectations. It's our expectations. But... Um, but in a way, reality, like the facts, is like things are impermanent. Nothing is permanent. We kind of want it to be, but they are, they are, they are not. Um, so death as well points at this, like nothing is, um, everything lacks of substance, of something solid and permanent. Everything is kind of um, an ever-endless um, or more complex Result of conditions, it's eternal condition arising. Everything depends upon conditions. So there's nothing that kind of stays the same forever. There's no, there's nothing intrinsic in anything that stays, that stays. And um, 
So we might we might get a sense of these these little things sometimes every 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 day sometimes like how you know when your favorite mark breaks or um, or something like that just and you experience the suffering of your favorite mark breaking is um, that you that you see that you expected that mark to be unbreakable somehow. Um, so sometimes we don't see it. We don't see this truth. We don't see impermanence until kind of it happens. Though it's kind of ever there. It's always kind of there. Um, so it, it is our relationship to death that that um, that I found quite quite unhelpful. <laughs> um, I get the sense of. Um, well, on my, on my last, the last time I talked, it was in a, on a Mexican day of the death. Oh, yeah, I'm from Mexico, so that explains my accent and my bad grammar and stuff. Um, <laughs> and um, I was, so I was using this the day of the death as a kind of a colorful approach to death. But and people would be like, oh yes, Mexicans seem to have so much more. Healthy relationship to death because they're like this the devil festival to death and stuff. But even in Mexico, like people actually don't want to talk about death. You know, like if I say like, oh yeah, I'm gonna die, someone say like, oh don't don't say that. <laughs> it's just like it's not it's not like trying to be morbid, but like the way actually our relationship to death is of uh, is almost a taboo. Um, we. Uh, we have a tendency of to escape from this from this truth, we're like, or to distract ourselves from it. Um, and not surprisingly, because it's a um, death in a way. It's it's hard to understand. It's hard. It's hard to grasp. It's hard to. Uh, it's not like uh, personally. Or, well, well, I said it like this, but I don't. I don't believe it's true. Like I don't think. Um, that is not like a scientific experiment that you can put or like something you can go to the shop and oh, I'm gonna just gonna try death to see if I kind of I like it or something. I gotta get a sense of what death is like. And if I don't like it, I'll return it or something. It's not um, it's not something that we find easy to comprehend. Because we understand that death as we what 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 could comprehend to death, what what could comprehend or what could understand death, it would die at the moment of death. Or something so it's like very it's kind of hard to get around death without actually doing it and I'm not suggesting for us to die tonight but that's not what I'm planning us to do <laughs> but as well we live and we live in the very particular times as well on this we live on the on the age of anxiety we live and I haven't thought of of this before until I started speaking it's something that I find very difficult when I talk because like, I've thought some things and I make some notes, but actually, while I'm starting talking, like another relationships are connections are kind of starting to come into my mind, and other stories and stuff. But like, like, and like one is like, I wasn't planning to tell the, the story of the Buddha, and it just struck it struck me how in the life of the Buddha, it's like it's almost like our capitalist world, our world of consumerism, the way in which we live in, it's almost like a, I don't think there's like a big King, like Gautama's father, just kind of controlling us all. 
it's more, it's, it, is a, it is a human tendency. And I think our systems have developed a very complex way of actually distracting us from it. The, 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 wealth, um, the wealth that we enjoy nowadays allows us to be more distant from death. It's, um, so the ill are like sterilized and put into particularly clean rooms or something in a, in a big building somewhere else. Um, or either there's a special people that go and take care of them in their own houses so you don't kind of, you, our relationship to death might not be so immediate to, to, with illness, sorry. The same with aging, you know, they, the way that we kind of grow up, maybe aging groups are just, you know, Old people just go to old people's houses or something. They wouldn't, we get on with our lives or something. And uh, the same with death. We don't see that happening. Like, and even how we acknowledge death when someone dies is like it's very. You don't talk about how they die or um, or anything around death. It's kind of it's kind of quite a sen- uh, sensitive area. Isn't it? It's like it's a, oh, don't go there. It's a bit, it's a bit kind of, it's a bit too emotional to touch it. So we don't. It's hard to get a healthy relationship with death. Sometimes I found, um, you know, that we kind of put the dead bodies in a box and we don't, and then it's gone. And now let's carry on talking about life and was a new iPhone or whatever. It's a, it's always it's a ever ending, a never ending. Uh, we live in an age of never ending source of distraction and promises. And we're so caught off on the importance of getting stuff and getting an upgrade for stuff. I think we more sort of, um, more intensely than ever, we, we as a generation think we've seen so much advance on technology and science in some ways. Uh, well, particularly in technology and medium technology. You see, I mean, I keep joking about iPhone 7, no, but like 10, 10 years ago, there wasn't an iPhone. And 20 years ago, like cell uh, mobiles were just a brand new thing. Like where, like, um, yeah, almost hardly anyone had a mobile. And now everyone has one mobile. And how that technology has changed is like, my first computer, you know, my, my phone is like 10 times more powerful than the computer I had, and, or more, you know. So how we see the, the development of technology, it's like, it's almost seemed like so promising. And the way that uh, I think we had a, such a rapid development there, that I think that gives us a, a promise that, well, maybe the solution from us to our suffering will come from there. Some very clever people, money will fix our problems. Someone will find out the cure for, for all the cancers, for HIV, for, uh, for, for hair loss, for the magic pill to lose weight, and the magic cream. Another, you know, well, that's always kind of been there, but I think the promise, the promise is louder than ever. It is, it is louder than ever. But at the same time, and I think we've seen that we've grown we've grown up with this promise, but I think that's that is going to change. I think this rapid growth is going to slow down, um, and this disillusionment from this world, from this way of uh, 
this um, from hoping the answer that will come from there, it will just kind of we're just going to be disenchanted by it. I think I've I've seen it happening around. You know, the, the, the eternal promise. There's up to much that you can hold that uh, excitement. You know, maybe the first iPhone was very exciting. Maybe the second iPhone, the second iPhone, and then now iPhone seven is just like, yeah, whatever. Now the best thing you could do is wireless earphones. So it's just like now, this is now, like now there's nothing. I can't even imagine what can they put on an iPhone to make me feel excited. See what I mean? Like it's like. Now we are so used to rapid change, but there is limits for that. And uh, <laughs> it's kind of completely, almost completely off topic. But uh, my, my point is like, we live in very, um, um, maybe that proves as well, like there's so much way of distracting ourselves from, from the great matters of life, which is uh, like death. So we can get we can get distracted by these little, very almost superficial, almost but lots of them very superficial things in life, and that we don't uh, we don't see the things that uh, that really matter. If death would be more present, um, things would be different. It seems I'm moving to to my next little bit, which is more like okay, let's let's reflect more consciously about death. Um, one of the I think I wanted to mention that it's not very um, we don't talk about it very much um, I, I don't think in the Buddhist center though when the Buddha and the Buddhist tradition comes from India where and at least the Buddha did, does talk about um, or mentions is rebirth so it's like um, what, what do we mean by rebirth and as well, there's many things that you can talk and we can argue, we can all have another whole evening about what do you mean by rebirth. But why I wanted to mention rebirth is because for me personally, I think I grew up with a kind of quite new agey kind of family. And uh, yeah, you know, the fact that I knew, I started to meditate when, I don't know, when I was five or something. And I think the concept of rebirth was quite early on kind of around the idea of rebirth. Um, so I can tell you that, and it's probably one of the motivations that made me uh, come to, to Buddhism, to the Dharma, is uh, that this life, imagine if you've done this life, this birth and aging and illness and this whatever you do, fall in love, burying other people, suffering other people's death and buying stuff and losing stuff and getting press and getting fame and then getting <laughs> getting insulted or something just like all this like if one life imagine could be kind of quite tiring the idea of having to repeat it over and over and over again is kind of quite exhausting because there's two ways isn't it? if you think that after this life it will be a happy ever after ending, that it's going to be a paradise and then you, that will be the eternal um, kind of bliss um, then like kind of, and that will all be the same and everything, all the time will be pleasurable and you will get everything you want all the time or after death, there's absolutely nothing, you know, there's like 
your consciousness or the way you experience is just a side effect of chemical organisms and blah, 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 blah. And the time you die, like, that's it. It's a... Uh, because so, sometimes you feel, if you feel like that, then you feel like, well, if, if, if there's all this suffering, if I just die, I'll end it up. It'll, I, I, just, I just don't care. But if you, if you get the sense of like, there is there's a possibility that that kind of carries on, that death doesn't finish, and death, uh, that the suffering doesn't finish, doesn't end in, it doesn't end at death, um, then you're kind of stuck, basically. You know, so that's why, like, basically, suicide is not kind of an option because it's really not a solution to your problems. Um, anyway, no, I just <laughs> that sounded quite dark, but I guess my point there as well is just like for me, at least personally, it was a sense of urgency. You know, so it's quite it could be quite tedious actually to just ignore what is ignore what is worthy, ignore what is meaningful. And, you know, maybe you did it for a week or two weeks and with a series of two in Netflix or something for a month or for a career or five years or something. Maybe you did it for ten years and then you go back to the meaningful what is important in life. But if you do it for lives and lives and lives, and like, what, where are you going to find your comfort? So for me, it was like the sense of, like, ironically, like the potential that I might have like just endless or thousands of lives it made my current life more, um, uh, more present, more precious, more, um, I don't know if that makes sense for you, but anyway, at least personally, it, was a, it, was a, it is a motivating factor, actually. I don't want to keep repeating my stupidity and repeating, I kind of want to kind of free myself from, oops, well, I could have talked about this for another evening. Death. <laughs> Um, so why why talk about death? Um, there is a philosopher Heidegger who's uh, uh, to say some something else that is not from Buddhists. Um, he said uh, that if you want to. Um, I'd say if you if you don't come to closer relationship to death, you cannot be authentic. Um, when he got asked that, um, how should we lead our lives? He said, "Oh, we should spend more time in in graveyards." Uh, what he meant by this, particularly with the word authentic, well, anyway, that's my understanding of this. It might be philosophers in the room who might know a bit more about. Hate gather myself, um, but what I found interesting is, um, um, yeah, he was encouraging people that to lead a better life. He was just spending closer, closer, um, have a closer relationship with death, a bit more regular relationship with death, spending time in graveyards and nature, because otherwise, not doing it so. He's not been authentic. I think his point is... Well, the other thing as well he mentions is that death is not an experience. Death is not something that happens to you. Death is an ever-present possibility. This made me think of uh, 
the uh, Philip Pullman into Dark Materials. Like when you know, in, in one in Lyra's world, you know, they have like their demons, but they they go to another world where there's always death. They have everyone has got a death friend. Or I don't know. I can't remember. Uh, but I was quite struck by that idea. Like uh, from the moment of birth, death is just next to you. I wish I had more. T- I wish I remember a bit earlier about this, and I could reread <laughs> Philip Pullman's for tonight. But uh, uh, but yeah, that's what I remember. Like kind of death has a had a character, and it was ever present there, um, and it's always it's always here. As I said at the beginning, you never know what's the uh, the time of death is uncertain. It's ever ever ending possibility, and we we should kind of come closer to this. We should reflect on death a bit more often, because not doing it so when he says it's not been authentic. But it's like I think what he was pointing at is like you're lying to yourself. You're escaping from what it is what is what is possible. Um, and I see it as well, like, in a way, it's, just, it's about, I think, integration, <laughs> somehow. Uh, the, we um, somehow not embracing death is a lying to yourself. It's lying to your, own, to your own nature, somehow. And it's almost unkind to yourself. And, uh, and that, that's going to stop you um, living your life more fully. So, not embracing death, somehow it's not embracing life more fully. Yeah, when, you, when we talk about the quality of mindfulness, it's almost kind of kindly awareness. So when I talk about reflecting about death, again, it's tricky because I don't—I mean, I have no idea how you're taking it on, but maybe we'll talk about this later. But it could sound very dark for a lot of people. But it's almost like like when we were meditating earlier. Like if you see a stress, a tension in your body, uh, and you become aware of it, of your of the tension in your shoulders, uh, then you can only relax. And actually now you can have a free shoulder. <laughs> uh, it's almost by not acknowledging the tension that you can almost kind of, it just becomes more, more tense. So that's kind of one, with awareness, with mindfulness, that's, what kind, of, that's, that's kind of the quality to bring to the reflection. It's not like kind of, oh, I'm tense, oh, and you tense it more. It's like, oh my God, I'm tense. And you tense all the parts of your body. It's not reflecting on death. You, kind of, you need to have like that approach somehow of kind awareness, or just kind of embracing it, but with a different attitude, which will be very difficult for us to to get a sense because it's not a common value. It's not something that we do. It's not something that you see other people doing. So, getting a sense of how do you reflect on death in a positive way, it's uh, it's probably a bit of a mystery for most of us. Culturally, I definitely think it is. Um, it was interesting. Like um, I decided to, uh, as a philosopher, I quite like Alain de Bouton, and sometimes his content is quite. Um, 
I listen to his YouTube channel. It would be quite dynamic. I thought, well, let's see what he's done about death. He's just done two videos on death. And even the, the way that he, he decided to read death is quite like this. One day, we will all die. And that's, I suppose, the truth of life or something. So like, even like the tone in which death gets talked about, um, I don't know, it's kind of, it, has, it almost feels like it has to be like that. And I mean, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that by trying to bring a different tone to it, I'm not being uh, so mis- uh, what's the word? dismissive or superficial about it. But I think a lot of, you know, if it's, I mean, really, death, it is really part of life. So what would we really need to be, to be, to be, to be weird about it or negative about it? Actually, imagine if, if, imagine if death wouldn't exist. Imagine if nothing would die. Imagine all the plants die and everyone dies. I think just, you know, the world would have run out of resources a while ago. And I will know, like, you know, I can't even imagine, actually. When you try to really think, like, nothing would die, like, everything is permanent. That's, uh, actually, and do you want that? <laughs> Is that, is that like a good idea? Um, like when nothing changes? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so by reflecting about the certainty of the fact that we're going to die and that the fact that the death is uh, uncertain, the moment of death is uncertain, um, it could bring... Um, it could bring more sharpness to our, a different quality to our lives, a more awareness, a different. So yeah, I invite you to try. Like if you feel, if you see that uh, you're kind of getting, you're going depressed and sad and miserable by reflecting on death, or maybe reflect about life instead. Maybe you are very too good about, I don't know, just try something else basically. No? But like what it could do, reflecting on the certainty of the, or what it could do. If you reflect on death, is that it just kind of brings you, bring you more to life? One of the examples of someone maybe reflecting about death on the day, everyday life was just maybe putting a seatbelt on. When you put a seatbelt on, you're like, oh, why am I doing this? Oh, it's because you know accidents happen. Accidents happen, and you know I could get injured on my way to to work or to the Buddhist center. Like when I put my helmet on or something. Like, that's almost, um, you know, it could, I imagine like it could bring you more to life. It's just like, oh, well, I just kind of drive away. I drive or whatever. <laughs> um, there's another film I quite liked. Um, did you see About Time? It's one of those, um, it was this guy that kind of time travels. Um, and, um, I think it's one from the creators of, uh, of uh, For Weddings and a Funeral. So it's that kind of rom-com kind of film, but with a bit of time travel. Uh, which sounds terrible, but it's not too bad. <laughs> I have actually, if someone wants to put it. <laughs> I think I have. Uh, but anyway, one of the things that happens, like this guy, the, the, now I'll tell well, now I'll spoil the film for you. Um, in the film... <laughs> Well, like, kind of goes, 
is where all the men in the family can travel in time. And when the, when the boy is old enough to travel in time, he starts tra- traveling back to fix some things. But uh, it reaches a point where once he's had a son, he can't go back to the, to the time before that birth. Otherwise, it would change the conditions for this particular baby. So he kind of had a particular relationship with this baby and then went back to something that happened before and the baby got changed. So then he realized that he couldn't go back because he was messing up his mind of having different babies. And for that, in some point, it meant that um, after his father died, he couldn't go back to visit his dad. Um, I, I don't think I'm explaining this anymore, but... So then his dad said, like, well, I'll tell you this. Nowadays I hardly travel time. And now, and my secret is traveling, um, how I live my life more fully, is going back and repeating. I go through my day doing, just kind of doing my day as normal. And then at the end of the day, I go back on time and I do the same day again. But this time I'll do it aware of what's happening. And I do it. Uh, I do it aware of other people and trying to be kind or something like that. So the effect. So you kind of get this sense of, uh, you know, it's a day is just kind of boring and he misses kind of the beauty. But then if he's aware, he sees all the beauty and he sees life. Anyway, that's kind of that's kind of related to that kind of the effect that could have. Like if you reflect about that, like uh, you know, just life could become more colorful. Um, so the tradition as well, we have, we have the, um, these two things I said at the beginning, like the, the death is certain, the time of death is uncertain. This is a set of, refle- of three reflections. The third being, um, the Dharma, because the Buddhist the path of well, growth, the path of development, it is the only, is the only thing of help at the time of death. Um, and you could think like, oh, what does, what does, he, what does he mean by that? Does it, is, it, is, is this just kind of religious propaganda? <laughs> it sounds a bit like that. But I think what it means is uh, with, with Dharma, you, you know, again, you can talk about for, for, for weeks or months or years about what Dharma means. But, you know, one, one list of the Dharma could be ethics, meditation and wisdom. If you engage, well, I'll put it differently, in, when you die, when most people die, one of the things they do is, um, you know, they want to make amends. I just remember, there's another verse on the Dhammapada, says, those, most people don't realize they're going to die. Those who realize who, who will die, that the death is coming, they will compose their, their, their quarrels. Something like that, right? So, um, so at the at the at the moment of death, you know, we'll we'll have this thing of our film of the whole life, perhaps, and we'll see we'll see where what we didn't do, or the things that we did wrong and we regret. So, is our ethic, our ethical um, shortage that they will come to. Uh, to potentially hunt us down, and uh, well, is that is is that? And so, and then, what it means is like if you have an ethical life 
and a world life, a meaningful life. You know, like, can you die now and think like, oh yeah, oh, I did what I wanted to do. You know, I think I interacted in the best possible way. I responded in the best way that I could do at that time. I was aware of myself, I was aware of other people. I, 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 lived, I lived my life more fully, as fully as I could. And I think that's what I mean, it's like attention and awareness and, and ethical practice. Um, and kind of with wisdom, with, with attention of more people. Does that mean that? I've got two minutes. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I've managed to not talk about bubbles. I don't know if you've noticed so far. <laughs> I didn't put it just as a mistake, but I guess it's just to finish like that uh, of uh, reflecting on the Dharma. Dharma is the only thing that would help. Because I think one of the things that happens as well, right, what distracts us to talk about death, is taking other things uh, too seriously. You know, we take we take our careers, our lack of money, perhaps our lack of status, of lack of options, or of, I don't know of the kinds of holidays that we can take. I don't know. Like we get distracted by very. Uh, Silly things. We take other things very seriously, and uh, so in a way, like death could bring you know brings you perspective. It could bring you perspective on like what it's, uh, what is the real importance of things, and and I wanted to bring bubbles as in um, I think bubbles. <laughs> You know, even the word, actually, is quite... I really enjoy the word bubbles. It's... Um, I want to bring the idea of... Um, actually, I actually first, I'll show you bubbles and then we'll talk about bubbles. I've got this tantric prompt. Of reflecting on death, and I was reflect on bubbles. Bubbles are for me. I just saw them like it could be a nice image of beauty. It's where like we know that bubbles will not last forever. We know that bubbles are very fragile, um, you know, because that's what we've been talking about. Like our life is very fragile. You don't know the moment of death. Uh, but in a way, they're so futile, they're so ephemeral, they're so pass away so quickly. But that doesn't mean that they're, um, even if they're kind of pointless, it, just, it doesn't mean that they are pointless. It doesn't mean that there is, there's no value in doing it or something. This is the point where, like, um, it's just, it's just, and it's just that image of actually of, of beauty, of, and because I think for me, a lot of my motivation for uh, dharma practice to 
It is just looking for beauty. I relate with, um, you know, I want to live, to, to live a more ethical life, a more aware life, a more present life. Not maybe because it will make my death a happier death or an easier death, but it's just because it's beautiful. You know, just because it's, yeah, just because it's beautiful. And actually, I did, I, bubbles, as it happens, they're actually quite, uh, that image that comes um, on, um, on, Bud- on Buddhist poetry or an analogy quite often. I found, um, well, I, as I was thinking about it, I remember a couple, uh, Nagarjuna, in a, on a letter to a friend, said, uh, Many things threaten life, which is even more ephemeral than a bubble of water full of air. How amazing is the opportunity of exhale after inhaling and to wake from sleep. So you can, you can stay almost with the first image of like, oh yeah, death is a uh, human life. My life is so ephemeral, so frail as a bubble. But as well, like, but isn't that great? So how amazing is the opportunity to excel after inhaling, to awake after sleep? It's like it's a possibility of change. You know, if there's things that you, of your life that you don't currently like, you currently don't want, or there's things that are just not right. If your ethical life, if your awareness, your presence is not enough, you know that. You know, if things change. Why would they stay the same? Uh, so that's the other thing I think just kind of reflecting on death can bring and, uh, one of the verses on the Diamond Sutra which is another text uh, later text Mahayana text it says uh, that you should view this fleeting world as a, a star at dawn a bubble in a stream a flash of lightning in a summer cloud a flickering lamp a phantom and a dream um, so you know it's, it's very different it's not nihilistic it's like oh it's just death it's all blank and dark it's just for me there's this sense of uh, even though it's everything it, even, even if nothing is fixed and permanent is this condition arising but like, even though if that sounds complex you don't need to think about the complex you can just rest on the beauty of this Phenomena of the, what life is, and make the and make the best the most of it. There's another list where the five skandhas or the five uh, areas or parts of that maybe that make a human life or existence or our experience. Um, they they get given different analogies. Ones like bodily, the the body formations are like foam. On a, at the edge of a wave, of a wave, that feelings are like water bubbles. That perception is like a mirage. Formations or kind of habits are like a plantain tree, which is uh, apparently is is a, it's a shallow tree. Doesn't have a core. It's very uh, um, and consciousness is like a magical illusion. So like everything is kind of ephemeral. Thin, but the Buddha uses, uh, oh, yeah, and this is the Buddha in the Samyutta Nikaya, uses images to communicate actually. It's, you don't get a nihilistic sense of the, 
it's fine. Everything finishes. It's like, no, isn't that great? Like, I don't know. That's, I guess that's what I want, where I would like us to, the notes or something that I would like to bring into for an end. It's like that. Bringing it, um, I think this would be successful if every time you see bubbles, you think of this talk and you reflect on death and on the beauty of death and with it just, just on beauty actually and the possibilities that this represents.